We're good. Cool. All right, let's get to rock and roll. Three, two, one. And welcome back to another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me is always at the salesman on Twitter, Matt Sell. So, Matt, how are things going for you in your neck of the woods? Hello, they're going all right. Um, as a Midwesterner, I kind of wish this wind would go away because at this point I, I'm just over it. Like we get 80 degree days, which are super nice, but we get 60 mile an hour winds, which is not awesome. Um, cause you know, trying to first time home homeowners trying to get some stuff done outside this spring, uh, kind of hard to do when, uh, it's like 60 mile an hour winds. Yep. I hear you. The, the weather hasn't made, it's made some home projects nice. We mulched this weekend had a nice little morning for that. It was like mid seventies. So it was nice to do that. But a couple of weeks prior, we had decided to try to reseed our backyard to get some more grass growing in some of the dead spots. And then a cold front came through. So all of our, all of our seeding and overseeding basically was just a day to go out and work and get some strain and to produce no grass. So we ended up having to do it again. So the weather has, you know, affected us homeowners. It's also affected some fantasy baseball managers and really just MLB teams in general, as we've seen weather play a part here in the early going of the 2022 season. But of course, we have plenty of news and notes that we need to discuss, things to watch. Of course, everyone's favorite segment, which is Matt Sells' level of concern. And this week, we'll put a little bit of a different twist on it. And then, of course, the bold prediction for the week that lies ahead. We talked about this player last week with Baltimore with John Means. We had talked about we were pretty confident we weren't going to see him anytime before the All-Star break. If I remember correctly, Matt, you had even said, you know, Baltimore's probably not not competing for much. So would it really behoove them to even push him along after the fact? Well, after a couple follow-ups and tests, it determined that he is going to undergo Tommy John. They said it was a sprained elbow, but he's going to go ahead and get Tommy John. So he he had posted, I believe it was on Twitter, he said he was disappointed, but more motivated. So we're pretty much, we are done with seeing means for 2022. As we see now with Tommy John surgery, though, it's not the kiss of death that it once was. Should be a pretty good recovery for the Baltimore left-hander. Um, what do you see with Baltimore doing now? Obviously, uh, Bruce Zimmerman went to Mount Olive where I had played, and he's been a nice revelation here for Baltimore this season. But what are we thinking with the Baltimore O's pitching staff? And um, obviously, we're not going to see John Means until 2023 now. Yeah, so, you know, I hate to be right in that kind of prediction. But, yeah, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall with what the elbow thing was, that it either was going to take a while to recover or he was going to have to undergo, you know, go under the knife. So in terms of what Baltimore does now, I don't know. I think they tread water for a bit. There's a lot of talk that Grayson Rodriguez is going to come up. Uh, yeah, he's dominating AAA to be sure, but it's going to be a while before Grayson Rodriguez comes up because they really don't want to start the clock on him. Um, they also probably don't want to give him enough starts to really be in the talk for rookie of the year. Because again, if you if a guy finishes within a certain spot of the rookie of the year voting, then service time gets you know gets credited to them regardless of if they've gone over the uh, normal service time or not. That was new in the CBA, as I understand it. So um, I think they just tread water. Brzezman has been good for them. Again, they're not competing this year. They're not anywhere close to. They're easily the worst team in the AL East. It's not even close. 
And to be honest, I think they want their core group of guys to come up together and learn to win together in the minor leagues. That's what the Royals did for their 2014-2015 run. All of those key guys moved through the system together, except for uh, Alex Gordon. Um, And that's what Houston did, too. If you look at their successful run, they had all of their key guys kind of show up at the same time, and they all won in the minor leagues. Well, Baltimore's GM comes from Houston. So I think we it might be a while before we see Grayson Rodriguez. Adley Rutschman will be up sooner rather than later, I think. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of what they're going to do. They're just tread water. They're not competing this year. So why burn service time? Yep, and in your most recent uh, prospect report up on Fantasy Alarm, uh, com, you have Grayson Rodriguez coming in at rank number 11. Um, so we'll have to see if we see him here in this year. And it looks like here, a quick glance, he's actually your top uh, pitcher listed there too. So it'll be exciting yep. to see what happens. If we get, if we see Rodriguez this year, I think you're right. It's kind of the same argument we talked about means. Why bring means back after the all-star break if they're not competing? Why start the clock on Rodriguez? I completely get that. We'll have to see. There's a lot of intriguing arms that we've seen some solid early season production here um, in the minors. You know, Grace Rodriguez has been really good. Uh, Daniel Espino struck out, I believe it was nine in a row in his most recent outing. So a lot of names down in the minors to watch. Hopefully we see some of them in, excuse me, in 2022. Another player that went to the injured list. And this guy is not a spring chicken by any means, but Los Angeles lefty Andrew Heaney. There's something with these Dodgers and pitchers. You just come to L.A., you got to get ready for an injured list trip because it just seems like that that's going to happen. He had a really good start. And then, of course, you know, you got to have the peaks and then you have the valleys injured list with left shoulder discomfort. So, you know, Andrew Heaney's not an up and coming 23 year old arm. He's been around the he's been around the horn a few times. So what do you think here with the injury to Andrew Heaney? Um, given that his shoulder discomfort and a pitcher, I'm a little bit more concerned about it than if it were like an elbow or a bicep or tricep. Um, cause shoulders tend to be kind of the kiss of death for pitchers right now. Um, and let's face it, it's not like he was great the last couple of years, even when he was healthy. Yes. He had one great start for the Dodgers. Okay. There's a lot of guys that can have one great start and then get smoked. Um, so yeah, it is very interesting for a team that's as deep and as good as the Dodgers. They just can't keep pitchers healthy. Um, kind of the same kiss as the Mets. Um, so, uh, you know, there's no real timetable on him, um, but I am concerned because it does shorten their rotation considerably at this point because, you know, they're basically down to, what I mean, do they have Price in the rotation or is he still in the bullpen? I can't remember what they're doing with him this year. Yeah, it sounds like from what I'm seeing here looking at it, perhaps a Tyler Anderson sighting in Maybe. the in the starting rotation. I mean, he did start on the 23rd, which would kind of line up with that. So looks to be him. So actually I'm going to take your question to me and segue into a question for you. Any interest in Tyler Anderson at all moving forward? Um, Maybe a little, I mean, if you need some depth of pitching, it can't hurt to, you know, get a shot at a win given the Dodgers offense. Um, There's some decent strikeout potential there. So, I mean, if you really need it, and it depends, again, it entirely depends on who you're dropping. We're not saying drop an established guy to go pick up a risky guy. If you have a risky guy and you don't see the upside there, swap him, right? But you're not going to drop 
guys who you've already gotten a couple of good starts from to go pick up a, a you know a perspective ad for the Dodgers. Absolutely, and then we got to talk some batters here. We've seen some injuries here. Eloy Jimenez left the field on a cart um, after trying to leg out a ground ball, extended, hit the base, and then I, if I remember correctly, I don't think it was the leg that hit the base. It was kind of the plant leg after hitting the base. It was one. It almost looked. ACL esque because it was that weird plant and then it's like the the leg kind of flails because it just because of the the force in the position that it was in turns out we're talking hamstring they're already putting him at about six to eight weeks um, and the, he's going on the ten day IL but there's a literally negative eight thousand percent chance that we see him within ten days he's out six to eight weeks they already said it such a long or such a lengthy time frame already put days after the injury isn't necessarily good for their long-term outlook so you know i believe chicago either got back or is getting back aj pollock so that move looked good for them to add to that outfield but this is a significant blow to a to a very talented offense yeah for sure um you know glad that it's the hamstring and not a ligament that's you know one thing but for him to be out you know a month and a half two months that's not great right now. That puts him back in, what, mid to late June, basically. Um, if everything goes according to plan, maybe he heals a little faster than normal. Who knows? Um, in terms of depth, it shortens their depth considerably. Obviously, you'd rather have A.J. Pollock coming off the bench or have Adam Engel as a depth piece rather than, like, you know, a most everyday player. And for a team that's lost seven straight now, coming into Monday, we're recording this on Monday the 25th, um, that's a blow for sure. Um, you know, they they have all the pieces in the world, but none of them are seeming to be clicking at the same time. So um, they're certainly letting the rest of this division get in, you know, get in the blows early. So we'll see. We'll see how it works out for them over the next six weeks. But that's not great. Um, and you're definitely going to have to find somebody on the uh, waiver wire to replace him. It's not just like a week and a half thing. Absolutely. He'll be gone for quite some time, you know, six to eight, we're already talking a month and a half to two months. So expect to be without him for a bit. Another hamstring injury popped up with Jose Altuve. He heads to the injured list. It seems like the very easy thought here is that Alemis Diaz will start playing in the middle infield. The team also has Nico Goodrum, who can play about seven of the nine positions on the field, it seems. So they have some logical backups there, per se. But what are we thinking here with Jose Altuve? He, his, to me, seems, if, <laughs> between him and Jimenez, if anyone's going to miss the 10 days, it's going to be Altuve. It's definitely not going to be Jimenez. That's pretty uh, certain. But... Houston, maybe they kind of slow play it with Altuve. There's enough pop in that lineup without him, at least enough to get by if he needs an extra couple of days to go from there. But Jose Altuve, I basically I'm at the point I'm going to put him in my IL spot, hold him, and I'm probably thinking two to three weeks seems pretty realistic at this point. Yeah, his is certainly less severe than Jimenez. Um, and in terms of who's going to take his spot, I would venture to guess that it'd be Oledmus Diaz over Goodrum simply because they'd rather have the more versatile player be able to fill other spots without having to make like double switches during games if something happens. Um, so I would say that Oledmus Diaz takes his role now. Is he going to take his spot in the order? Probably not. He's not the same hitter as Altuve is quite clearly. Um, but, you know, Diaz still has some pop in that bat. He'll make some decent contact. So, if you absolutely need 
a bench middle infielder right now. Diaz, I mean, you could get worse than a Ledmus Diaz. So he's worth a pickup if you're if you're basically going Altuve to the IL and then you have an open spot, then you can pick up Diaz. But if you're dropping somebody of value, I probably would just hold and let somebody else deal with Diaz for like a week and a half. Absolutely. And then two guys that are banged up. I don't believe we've had IL stints yet for either of these two, but Luis Robert has tweaked something. I'm looking here at the Fantasy Alarm uh, Daily Roundup. So said that he had tweaked something. They said it's not serious and that, well, they say tweaked and they say yanked. I don't know how many synonyms of this word that you can get into this write-up uh, about it, but it sounds like he avoided pretty extended absence, which is good for Chicago <laughs> being that. Uh, I don't know if there's any room on that IL list anymore for the White Sox. And then in Boston, J.D. Martinez is dealing with an adductor injury. Uh, day-to-day shouldn't be out too terribly long is what they're saying. So it seems like fantasy baseball managers have avoided serious injury with both Robert and J.D. Martinez. Yeah. Um, I mean, on one hand, it's great that they're only going to be – that they're listed as day-to-day, right, because it means you could get them back any time. But the other downside is that means you can't officially make a roster move to go, you know, help yourself get some depth because you can't put them on the I.L. if they're listed as day-to-day. Um so it's a little bit of pro and con there. Um, clearly for Chicago, it's a good thing that he's only day-to-day because you don't want to lose out on Robert and Jimenez at the same time. That would not be that would not be great. Also, Liam Hendricks is nursing like a stiff back, I think they said. He got some treatment for it post-game, I think I saw. Um, so you got some, some key guys to watch there for the White Sox. For the Red Sox, we had talked, I think it was, what, last week about our concern level with J.D. Martinez not hitting the ball terribly hard. Maybe this is why. Um, maybe he was just a little sore in the uh, core region there, and that's a lot of where power comes from. So um, I'm not terribly concerned about either one. Obviously, J.D. Martinez playing D.H. certainly helps because there's less strain there. Um, and Robert, I, I think he'll be fine after a few off days. I think you are right as well. And, of course, we didn't talk about it last week, but we have to bring it back this week. The the never-ending closer carousel continues to rear its uh, ugly-ish head, depending on uh, which which side of the fence you're falling on there. But if you were like me and invested quite heavily into Lucas Sims, he returned from the IL, came had an appearance, then he came back and through the next day and earned a save for Cincinnati. So that certainly helped some of my teams and likely it did for many of yours out there. So I, I really thought Lucas Sims was going to be the guy to begin with uh, in the bullpen, had an injury that slow played his season. You can look his fastball velocity. It's only about a mile per hour down and he's got to work back in the game shape. Anyway, so I'm not really concerned about there from here on out. I think Sims is going to be the guy in Cincinnati, but I do have concerns whether or not they deploy him as such. And if they continue to split opportunities, but um, are you in the camp with me? that you you think his talent should be the one that gets the ninth inning work, but there are there are some concerns in the back of your mind if Cincinnati just says, any ninth inning, we're up by two, one, three runs, Sims is coming in. Any concerns that that doesn't happen with him? Um, perhaps early on as they work him back in, but I don't think... Um, I don't think long-term that there's concern. I think Lucas Sims is the guy. They've clearly transitioned uh, Santa Leon to more of a, you know... A guy who can get you an inning, maybe two innings um, in middle relief, get you holds. Uh, he's already gotten, I don't know, two or three of them so far this year for what it's worth. 
Um, so I don't think he's really in the conversation at this point. I think it's Sims as long as he doesn't falter. Um, but that being said, you know, there's going to be off chances for everybody else because they're not going to use Sims like three days in a row, right? That they just don't use closers that way. So if there's an entire series in which their save chances, Sims probably gets two of them and somebody else gets the other one just because workload, you're not going to see a guy three days in a row. I agree with that as well. Two things I wanted to point out here. We're going to kind of keep an eye on this here. Both have been pretty excellent fantasy revelations here in 2022. First of which is Jock Peterson. I'm looking here at Baseball Savant, and typically when you see a lot of red, not a good thing. When you're on Baseball Savant and you see a lot of red, that's a real good thing. Looking here at his expected numbers, 100th percentile expected Woba, 100th percentile expected batting average, 100th percentile expected slugging, barrel rates at 98%. Look at some of these things. His whiff rate is at 92%, and in recent years, he's been lucky to even be close to the league average. So he is putting the bat on the ball more than ever before, and he's been excellent in that San Francisco outfield. So when you're looking at his numbers, just moving away from some of that expected data and everything hitting 364 and OPS north of you know 1.1 he's well up there he's got five homers he only has eight RBI so hopefully they start getting on base in front of him so he can start loading up those RBI numbers but Jock Peterson has been excellent here to begin the season he even has a stolen base to add to that ledger so talk to me about Jock Peterson and, and why if he's available in any league he needs to be picked up at this point yeah, I mean, at this point, we've got, what, a two, two-and-a-half-week sample size for Jock. Um, that's good enough for me to be convinced. I mean, we're already 44 at-bats into the season, so he's getting pretty close to regular playing time here. Um, I don't think it's due to any you know injuries or poor play by anybody else. I think he holds his spot. Clearly, you're not going to sign a name like Jock Peterson to only play him part of the time, except, of course, against you know, missing lefties. Um, but here's the thing. Um, apologize for any noise in the background. A garbage truck just drove past my house, um, which is ironic because usually these guys are pretty garbage. Um, here's the thing, though. Jock Peterson is back to where he grew up, right? He's from Northern California. He's from the Bay Area. He likes um, Napa wines, he, you know, the, San Francisco kind of fits his vibe. It's not really a shock why he signed there. So if a guy is feeling comfortable with where they're playing, his numbers are going to show it. And that's the case with Jock Peterson. So, yeah, if he's available, you should pick him up. Are we recommending to trade for him? I don't know. If you need some help, like maybe if you just lost Aloy Jimenez, maybe. But, like, you know, I'm not going to offer the moon for Jack Peterson. It's still got to be a reasonable deal. Well, absolutely. It's like we talked about last week or the week before with Stephen Kwan. If you're going to trade for Peterson now, you're paying for what he's done the past little bit. And, I mean, when you look at some of those numbers, yes, the exit velocity and barrel rate being up are certainly very enticing. The launch angle is right on par with recent years. However, he's a career 24% strikeout guy. He's at 17% right now. One would think, you know, we have about six or seven years of a track record here. The strikeouts are going to come back. It's just, it's going to happen. That's in his game. It is what it is. So that's going to happen at some point, but if he's available and you can add him for free to your team and you don't right. have to drop a, you know, a meaningful player, but like, and you said, if you can move Jimenez to the IL or maybe Altuve to the IL. Peterson's a guy I would certainly be looking at. And when we came into draft season, 
in 2022, I remember looking at NFBC data and right around pick 99 and 100 right there were former first round talents, Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger. And I don't know what to say about Bellinger. I really wanted to draft him in a lot of leagues. And I little thought in the back of my mind was like that just last year was putrid. What is going to happen with him? Can he turn it around? Well, we're staring down a 915 OPS, four bombs, three stolen bases, hitting in, you know, a very loaded lineup. Is this is Cody Bellinger back? I don't know how to phrase the question other than just rather bluntly, just like that. So Matt Sells is the 26-year-old left-handed hitter who last year couldn't hit him. He couldn't he couldn't find water if he was stuck in the middle of the ocean. So what is Bellinger back? Tell me yes or no. I have to say yes at this point. Right? Like Maybe being dropped out of the um, the heart of the order there took some pressure off of him, let him work on some stuff. Obviously, it's a very deep Dodgers lineup. Um, you know, perhaps he's gotten some lessons from Freddie Freeman in the few weeks that Freeman was on the team after the lockout. I don't know. Um, I do know that in the offseason, he said he was working on some stuff mechanically, and at least in spring, it looked like he was still trying to figure that out. Well... Seems like he figured it out, folks. Seems like the holes in the swing are kind of gone. Um, either that or pitchers just have been soft-tossing him because they think he sucks. Um, but I would have to say he's back. And look, the guy is an MVP caliber talent. I don't think anybody seriously thought that after two years he was going to basically be washed up. I don't think anybody actually thought that. But I do have to say that this resurgence has been spectacular to watch in just, you know, one year of turning it around. So, yeah, he's he I he's going to win somebody leagues, right? Like, with the value he was going at in drafts, he's going to be a league winner at that point. And you're right. And the big thing, hopefully we're on the right, the right, the same uh, mental line here, whatever you want to call it, telepathy or whatever. But when you looked at Cody Bellinger last year, it was hard below and pitches up in the zone that gave him more than more than any fits that he could handle. When you look at I'm looking if you go to baseball savant, look at the zones and you can see just a breakdown by each of the zone. And I'm looking at the top five quadrants of whiff rate. So we're talking up and away out of the zone, up and into the zone in the top three boxes there. We're talking 40, 46, 47, 38, 33 percent whiff rates. I know we're only a couple weeks into 2022. He's got a 50 and a 60 mixed in there, but then there's like 33. There's like an 8%. It seems like at the very least, he's cutting down a little bit on whiffs up in the zone. And that's where he was beat last year. That was the MO. You don't throw Bellinger low with the swing. You attack him up in the zone and let that, dare I say, an uppercut, try to hit the hard velo up in the zone. That's what gave him fits. If that hole is gone and, you know, that bat is all short up, I don't know how good Bellinger can be in 2022, but these early returns, to me, they say pretty damn good is where he could end up at the end of 2022. You say league winner. I can't argue with that with you. I mean, the guy was a first round pick a couple years ago and, you know, the talent has been there. He just, he just had a horrible season last year. That's really what happened. Yeah, And, so, and look, you're right. the steals were, the steals were down the last couple of years because he wasn't getting on base. He still has speed. And frankly, if he's hitting at the bottom of the lineup, or near the bottom of the lineup, because I've seen him be hit like 7th and 8th most nights, he's going to run to try to generate some runs, right? Get in scoring position for the guys at the top of the order, like 
I don't know, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner. Um, so if he has figured out, I think part of the swing that he was talking about was opening up a little bit more. He felt like he was a little closed off and couldn't see as well. So if he opens stuff up a little bit, that's going to reduce your your whiff rate at the top of the zone. It's also going to let you see the ball better. He's going to get a better read on things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Bellinger is back. I don't think there's any question at this point uh, that he is. My only question for the Dodgers is why they keep hitting Trey Turner third. I, I don't understand how you take a guy who's got 40 steel upside and hit him third where he's not going to run. That I don't know either, but that would be something. I think ideally they would love to be able to move him up a little bit, and hopefully Bellinger can slide back in there. But we'll what see I don't understand is why they don't switch Trey and like put Bet second, hit Trey first, Bet second, Freddie third. Maybe and maybe they're, maybe they're just doing everyone in the after that because they're all the same guy anyway. Maybe they're doing the league a favor by not you know setting him in a different order. Who knows? They're the Dodgers. They're good. They have. I mean, it's a great problem to have. Let's be honest. It is, but it's like it. It, it indicates to me that Dave Roberts has nothing. Has, has no clue what he's actually doing when setting lineups. And 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 specifically for Dave Roberts, a guy who made his living on stealing bags and has one of the most famous stolen bases in all of baseball history when he stole second in Game Five of the. Or game four of the 2004 ALCS. Why are you going to take a speed guy and put him in the middle of the order where he's not going to run? Like, it's just that's the most frustrating thing about watching the Dodgers right now. Well, let's move away from frustration. Let's get into the to the levels of concern. That's everyone's favorite segment this week. I hit. I got a couple interesting ones in here for you that I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Level of concern. We're going to start with teams. Usually we talk about players. I'm going to put two teams in here, and you can kind of divulge from there how you'd like. But we're going to start with the Texas Rangers. Uh, they stink. That's ultimately where I'm going to begin with this. Five and ten record. We talked before the year. They spent a ton of money on hitting. And, yes, they brought in John Gray. And it's going to be, hey, we're going to try to score as many runs as possible and go from there. Well, they're living up to it on one end in that they have a team ERA of 5.08. They're one of just four teams to be above the, the five, 5.0 earned run average threshold. And when you look offensively speaking too, this team littered with talent to begin the year here in 2022, they're about a little worse than league average hitting 228, got a 20% strikeout rate. So what is the level of concern with the Texas Rangers team that needed to score runs because they knew they were going to allow a lot of runs, and they are allowing a lot of runs. They're not scoring as much. Well, yes and no. They do rank 10th, looking at fan graphs right now, they do rank 10th in runs scored so far. Interestingly enough, the Cubs are number one. That could have something to do with the fact that they posted 21 in one game this week, um, which is just mind-boggling that they won 21 to nothing. And also, by the way, Frank Schwindel didn't play, so thanks, Cubs, for screwing over my fantasy team that day. Um, so if you – let's just take the Cubs out of it because they're – like they shot from last to first in one game. Um, the Dodgers, who we just talked about, have scored 82 runs this year. Texas has scored 71. So they're not terribly far behind. Um, they're hitting a decent amount of homers. They're just not getting on base. They have a 295 on base percentage. So they're 
they're scoring runs the hard way. They're not making it easy on themselves. They're not drawing walks. They're not, you know, stringing together hits. It's all or nothing, kind of like the Phillies approach, which we saw on Sunday Night Baseball didn't exactly work very well. Um, the pitching staff, though, was going to be the question going into the season, right? Like, they, they made some splashy signings. Yeah, they got Dane Dunning. Or, uh, sorry, John Gray, rather, they signed. And then their rotation, you know, backs up with kind of a bunch of cast-offs from other teams that didn't really want them. Um, Dane Dunning is one. He's been so-so. Um, you know, Martin Perez is like 85 years old. Taylor Hearns, all right. Spencer Howard, not great. So, like, they're starters. We knew coming in that it was going to be a problem. So I'm not sure that we're really all that concerned with Texas. We kind of knew this was going to be what they were because um, they never spent big on that final starter. Um, they were in on some guys but just didn't have the money after signing the most expensive middle infield in baseball history. So level of concern, 1 to 10, wh- wh- what's the numerical value that you're going well, I guess this is tricky for me, right? Because, like, if the scale was adjusted before the season, my scale can't be that high now, right? Like, if we were already concerned coming into the season, it's basically the same because we knew um, this is who we thought they were, to paraphrase Dennis Green there. Um, so, I mean, I'm not – like, did we expect them to compete for the AL West – division title did we expect them to compete for a wild card spot like mm-hmm. I, I mean i don't know if you're if you're looking at the offense they're doing an okay job of scoring runs the batting average is down but so is everybody's in the league so as a pitching perspective i'm not that i mean <laughs> i'm concerned but not any more than i was to start the year and then let's stick Let's stick with the same team then and go individually. So we're going to go Marcus Semien. He was a guy that I was very outspoken on in fading to begin the year. I didn't – It's my whole thing was after a year full of career best, players very rarely set another year of career best, and you were going to be paying that price. He's opened the year. This isn't a victory lap by any means, but he's hitting 183 to begin the year. He's yet to hit a homer. He's He has stolen two bases, so that's at least helped. When you look at the numbers, it's really just that the hard hit rate is down. His strikeout rate's right in line. Walk rate is there. Launch angle slightly up. It's just the barrels, hard hit, and average exit velocity are all down to begin the season. Is this a product of maybe Semyon's coming back to earth after an insane 2021? Is he just kind of a victim of this, this ball issue that we seem to be having in Major League Baseball? So what is your level of concern with Marcus Semyon? Well... So let's touch on the ball issue first, right? Last year, the ball was supposed to be deadened to keep home runs down. He still hit 45 of them. Why? Because he played in the AL East. All of those stadiums are homer friendly. All of them. Um, Tampa's probably the least homer friendly, and he still smoked it there, too. Um, So, yeah, the strikeout rate is in line. The walk rate's in line. ISO is way down, obviously, because he hasn't hit any homers and very few extra base hits. We also know that Texas is pretty tough place to hit home runs, right? We saw that when they played in the bubble, and then we saw that last year, especially when the roof is closed. It's a tough place to hit home runs. 
He's also a guy who's almost 32 and is coming in on the first year of a huge contract. Those kind of setups usually don't work very well for fantasy players. So I'm, you know, am I concerned? Yeah. Did, did we kind of expect this? I think a little bit. Um, I mean, if you look at 2019, he hit 33 bombs and 10 homers and hit 285 when he was with Oakland. Okay, he's trying to up trade value or arbitration rates or whatever. Then 2020 happens. Well, he had a pretty good year for a shortened season, but, you know, we'll wipe that out. Then last year, on essentially a one-year deal with Toronto, he went nuts. But prior to that, his career high in homers was 27 when he was 25 years old. Then he hit 10 and 15 in the two years between 27 and 33 homers. So he's kind of all over the place with homers. He's not going to hit anywhere close to 30, even if he goes on a hot streak. The batting average will come around, but if you're expecting him to hit above 25 homers, that's not what you should have drafted him to do. I Well, I obviously agree. I've been saying since the beginning of the preseason, he was or in spring training, he's not one that I was in on, so I agree with you there. If there's any team that's going to rival the White Sox in terms of a – length of an injured list that is reminiscent of like a receipt at like a CVS or maybe your local grocery store where it's just excessively long just might be the Washington Nationals. So uh, Matt at the salesman on Twitter has an affinity with this team. It sounds like it's, it might be tougher now than it has been and certain times. So talk to me here, level of concern with the Washington Nationals and their excessive injured list uh, squad. Yeah. So let's preface this by saying I'm kind of in the same boat is Texas, right? Nobody expects the Nats to do anything this year. If they finish fourth in the NL East, it'll be a victory for them this year, in my opinion. So when we're talking about level of concern, it has to do with how many dudes are hurt and what that means for the overall depth of the roster because they're still building their farm system, so we can't really rely on that either. So here's the guys that are currently injured or have yet to make their season debut due to injury. Okay. I'm going to try to read these off as quickly as I can. Josh Bell has a knee. He's day to day. Victor Robles growing day to day. Lucius Fox is sick, not COVID. He's day to day. Sean Doolittle elbow issue. I think it's an elbow strain. If I'm not mistaken, he's on the IL. He's going to probably miss more than 10 days. Hunter Harvey pronator strain. IL for 10 days, probably longer than that. Mason Thompson has a bicep strain, IL for 10 days. D. Strange Gordon, we think it might be COVID. I don't know. He left the Pittsburgh series after being held up in his hotel room for a few days and then got permission to travel back by himself to D.C. It's undisclosed at this point, but he's sick and not coming back anytime soon. Anibal Sanchez hasn't made his debut. He's got a neck thing. Ahir Adrianza, who's supposed to be a util guy, is out with the quad, hasn't debuted yet. Steven Strasburg. Thoracic outlet syndrome, we knew coming into the season he wasn't going to show up until probably May. And then he's coming off of what is now a massive surgery for pitchers. So take that with a grain of salt. Joe Ross has an elbow thing. He's on the 60-day IL. He's not going to come back anytime soon. Will Harris is coming back from a pec and thoracic outlet syndrome too. Carter Keboom went out in spring with some elbow thing, hasn't returned, and may not get third base back. So, yeah, that's a huge list of dudes that are injured for a team that uh, doesn't really have a whole lot of depth. So, 
Yeah, you're going to get to see some backmarkers for the Nats here for a little bit because that is a very long list of injury and issues and non-debuts. Yep, I know I'm holding I'm holding out for Strasburg in a couple leagues just because I you could stash him on the IL and hope for the best. But I mean, like you said, that that's a that's that's a tough one to come back from for pitchers. So we'll have to see what happens here with the, <laughs> the excessive list of injured players for the Washington Nationals. But to wrap up this episode of the Fantasy Long Fantasy Baseball Podcast, we are again going to do our prediction for the week that lies ahead. Unfortunately, Matt and I both weren't quite right. I was way more wrong than you were, so I'll give you credit there in terms of last week's predictions, which were Nolan Nolan Gorman gets the call by the end of the week, and then Hunter Green breaks his own record for pitches above 100 miles an hour. So for this week's prediction, Matt, I will kick it over to you first. What is the your prediction for the for this week that lies ahead? Okay, first of all, let's dig on the Cardinals a bit. What the hell are you still playing Paul DeYoung for? Let's give Nolan Gorman a shot. He hit another home run yesterday, hit AAA. Um... Yeah, not sure what you're waiting on. DeYoung's sucked for a year and a half. Let's let's get the call up and you know, put some juice into that lineup. Um, but for this week, here's what I'm going with. I'm going with two, actually, because it's going to depend on when I get the podcast up and edit it. If you're listening to this on Monday night, the Giants and the Brewers play each other on, on Monday night. Sammy Long for the Giants is pitching against Corbin Burns for the Brewers. I'm predicting that Sammy Long winds up with more strikeouts than Corbin Burns. Okay, that's prediction number one. Prediction number two, if this gets up after Monday, uh, Josiah Gray will outpitch Sandy Alcantara in their matchup. I believe it's Wednesday. Uh, might be Tuesday. Double check. But they're supposed to match up against each other as the Nats play the Marlins. I think Josiah Gray is going to have a better uh, pitching performance than Sandy Alcantara in that one. And we'll use stats. We'll use pure stats for that one and not like eye test. We'll use, you know, pure stats or baseball reference game score if you want to. Well, if you get two, I want two. So Go for it. That, it's only fair. Uh, I'm actually going to take yours from last week. I think Nolan Gorman gets the call this week. I think I think you were one. I think I think it was a tad premature, even though it was 100% warranted. You know, I thought warranted. about making that one again and doubling down nope. on it. I really nope. did. So I'm going to be pissed if you get credit for it. <laughs> no, you get you get the credit. You you had it last. He should have been called last week. Let's be honest. You're right. Uh, Paul DeYoung has been bad. Let let the kid play. Add some thump, some electricity. Add some add some fun to that lineup. So that's going to be the first one, which is really just kind of an extension of yours from last week. Um, but for those that have drafted Zach Wheeler, the end the end of his slow start to the year is in sight. JT Real Muto said his stuff in his last was the best it's looked this year, which is great. It was only second or third start. So congratulations. You know, that's like, oh, this beer that I tried is my favorite one, and it's only the third beer I've ever tried in my life. So, you know, it's kind of something like that. Sample size be damned there. But Wheeler looks good. I think if you can still buy low on Wheeler, I'd be very interested in doing so. This is the start of when things turn around. I think he's going to dominate the Rockies. I don't think he quite has the stuff for double-digit Ks against them, but six, seven shutout innings, about a strikeout printing, should do just fine for Wheeler this week. So those are our predictions for this week. Talk levels of concern, a bunch of players of the IL, and we even had a couple players come off the IL. There's going to be plenty to talk about for the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball podcast. That will be something slightly different uh, than what you've been hearing lately. Uh, Matt will be running the show with that one. He'll get someone else on. That's a, that special guest will be someone to be named later. Uh, but then I should be back the following week. Talk shop 
talk some fantasy baseball and recap everything that happened in the past week and what is to come ahead. So for Matt Sells at The Sells Man on Twitter, I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway, and we will see you next time.